Hello, colleagues. Welcome to We Will Get Through This, Transformative Leadership in Troubled Times. And we are really pleased to have you here with us. I'm Scott Ebay, and this is my colleague, John Chetty. And we're really pleased that you've taken the time to join us for our second episode here. We're hoping that today is a little stronger than yesterday, and we think you're going to Episode two is really focused on a little recap of what we talked in our prior episode, uh, a little bit more about us, and then we really want to sort of help you understand the notion of change. Transformational change, what is that? And Scott, why are we doing this? I think I mentioned to you that I see this as like the, um, probably not as popular, but as like the show Seinfeld, where if you watch the very first one, it's a little clunky. You got to know the characters, but you weren't sure, and it really got better by season seven. So by season seven, folks, you'll have something to listen to or watch. For sure. This is episode two, and we're really excited. We will get through this as the theme. That's really the, the mantra we hope you're bringing to your teams, uh, as we are in a very interesting and unique time in human history, where most of the world is shut down to try to take a virus that, for many of us, wouldn't even be all that noticeable, but for many others, will be lethal and minimize it so we can get back to it, whatever all that means. So the outside ending of this doesn't seem like it's in our radar, but we know it is, and our job is to help you think through the issues, and we will get through it. Exactly right. We're going to use this time together. We're going to use this time value. So yesterday, we um, introduced you to the concept of looking out for yourself. Because realistically, you as a leader, you're no good to anybody else if you're not taking care of yourself. So we talked through a lot of the ideas yesterday about how do you take care of your mental well-being, how do you deal with the issues, all the stress, all the drama that you're feeling right now. We also talked about how to take care of your, your physical stuff. You know, John talked to you about getting out there and getting, doing those little steps, but thinking about what you're eating, not putting on the, uh, the, the, the COVID-10. The COVID-20. COVID-20, yeah. not putting on the COVID-20. Um, all these things are really important because we do see ourselves as having an opportunity ahead of us as well. We have these great challenges, but this is this is an opportunity. And so before we get into it, let's just quickly reintroduce ourselves. Um, I'm Scott Emig. I'm an academic here at the University of Newcastle. I've been a teacher, I've been a professor um, in the US and here in Australia. And I think one of my favorite things to do is work with school leaders and with uh, teams of educators actually in the schools. And I'm John Facetti. I currently have the pleasure of working with the Faculty of Education and Arts, in which our School of Education, School of Humanities and Social Science, and School of Creative Industries are housed in a really large university that's negotiating where higher education needs to negotiate. What is teaching and learning like? What does research look like? How do we make an impact here? This uh, reality has put a lot of pressure on universities, given face-to-face -face stuff is really on hold for a while. But there is a great chance for us to do things differently. And on the other side of this, Scott, I think to reinvent what we think a university's for, what teaching and learning should look like when we are face to face, and the opportunities of this technology. So, 38 years in, in uh, this business, many as a teacher, then as a teacher educator, and uh, as a leader around a bunch of different places. But the real theme that I try to bring to the work is that we have to start with the focus of what our purpose is in education. And for schooling in particular, that's about learning of young people. Uh, the learning of young people is actually uh, phenomenal. And you could see just on cue some kind of the shade here in our building here in the that CBD of Newcastle. The lights just went on when you focus on learning. It looked all bright and cheery for a second. So where we are in the learning of children is 
been distracted by some of the bureaucracy, some of the policies, some of the stuff that keeps coming. It's almost white noise distracting us from our main purpose every day, which is to inspire kids by teaching them really well, but also exciting them that life is worth living and doing the right thing is the right thing. And uh, that's we've been kind of moved away. Maybe assessment that's done that, maybe policies, or maybe trying to keep up with other countries and how they've done on tests. But I think we got to get back to that core value of what we do this for. And if you look through my life, probably there's a bunch of that over and over again. Exactly right. Well, so today we really want to talk to you about the notion of transformation. I mean, John, one of the things I often hear you say is transformation really is about making change. It's actually about saying I'm going to do something and actually do it. That's, that's as simple. So yeah, that's I think it's if we say our goal is learning for all, how about we try to do that? As opposed to then creating the next goal next year when we said that was hard. So I think it's not only defining the vision and having the goal and the direction we'll get into with episodes down the road. It's actually trying to spend this year and next accomplishing that goal, which is, I think, interesting because whenever a new leader comes into a building or a policymaking role or running a country, they tend to wipe out or dismiss what the last person came along. But what if our journey was to hand off the baton to everybody who comes along and says, we're on this journey to get everyone successful, and this is our little segment of it. That would be transformation if they actually try to accomplish our goals. Uh, I think so. And, I, and, and this podcast to me is actually an example of, of that very mm-hmm. that very notion. Four days ago, five days ago, this was, this was just an idea. Here we are doing it. Um, I think that's a big piece about what we want to challenge you to do. As, as leaders, whether you find yourself right now at home because you've been told to be at home or because of the fact that you were you're still working those last few days before your school system gets on board and says it's time for us to take take a little break from the physical space. We want to encourage you that the point of transformation is we want you to think about what are those things you can be doing right now and let's take one. Let's do it. It's really about looking at your job, looking at your work, looking at your work with your staff, and let's figure out is there is there an aspect of your practice? Is there something that you do every day that you want to say to yourself, why do I do that? And why do I do this for the kids who come to my school every day? One of the things that, one of the quotes that you use often is that school is a place where children come to school to watch their, their teacher work. Yep. And I like that. I like that quote. I don't like that concept. And to me, this is one of those points. It's, it's one of the rare points we will ever have in our lives where things are going to come to a point where we can stop and think about why are we doing I think for most of the leaders who are, in, at least in the Western world, that might get a chance to listen to this, they're caught in this two paradigms. One is that the bureaucracy wants accountability, and that accountability has come, and Hargraves has probably done a really good job of this in the fourth wave and some other pieces. But if you think about the opportunity to think about where we go uh, from here, we've got to reestablish that we had some momentum toward authentic learning, authentic assessment, and that in the 80s and started to take over. Uh, But then the assessment accountability came as conservative governments looking to really try to create jobs and growth mentality for workers. Everybody's defined to be work ready and skill sets, maybe even for the next century at that point. But that distracted us in the wrong way from powerful learning to powerful assessment. And that's distracted us from what the real focus is, is how do we enable our teachers to every day be so excited and so well equipped that they can go to a classroom and say, let's go, we're going to have a great day. And we do, because learning is the result, not assessment is a result. We might need to assess to see if learning's happened, 
but assessment isn't the purpose. So I worry that some of our listeners have been put in situations, maybe before they were um, thinking they were ready for that challenge, to say, I'm supposed to drive assessment. No, you're supposed to drive learning. And assessing is one way we know if that's happening. So I think we got to help our colleagues take that back. And during this little hiatus, maybe reaffirm that the teaching and learning that you're trying to change is the thing you're trying to do first. That almost all the other stuff from the reports that now primary teachers have to write, they're more reporters and, uh, and administrators and then our teachers, to all the way to secondary schools trying to justify how their state test scores will go up, even though they know those test scores are either not very good, uh, the tests themselves aren't very good, or they want to assess the better stuff, the, the projects kids are doing or the external activities they're doing, or just the passion that they've increased, which are all the life skills that we're in now, not necessarily a mark on a, on a test that's semi-valid, we'll say at least. So I think it's regenerating what your job is, and that's to drive teaching and learning with assessment to complement that to see how we're going. Well, in our next episode, we'll talk about the team component of that. But Scott, you've thought a lot about how principals can think about taking the change idea and getting people on board. Yes, we'll we'll definitely talk about supporting your staff in the next episode. But in terms of bringing in terms of bringing your your people along, um, this is this is a time when you have people really want to hear some positive stories. They want to know. That you have some ideas that you're thinking that ideas are percolating right now, and and they're not just they're not just your ideas. They want to they want to be brought in on this journey. They want to be brought in on this this moment. Again, we're looking at this. We recognize the gravity of this, but we see this as a huge opportunity. So one of the things that we really recommend that you start doing is thinking about looking at the landscape of what you do, and then reach out to some of your colleagues, reach out to some of your staff members, and say. Hey, you know, I want to really get you on board this journey with me. I want to get you thinking about some of these ideas. And then let's do this. Let's have some Zoom conversations. Let's have some, some phone calls and get your kid involved. Reach out and let them know. Let them know how valuable they are. Right now is probably the best time yeah. for you to begin making those steps. If, if you've been so caught up in this, it's amazing what you can do with one minute. One minute email. The theme of today's episode is really about what is, are we trying to change and what is transformative change. I think when it comes back to your understanding of the power and inspiration and potential of one teachable moment in the classroom, that in just, just even in terms of our synaptic connections, in one, one lesson in one hour and one day, you can turn a kid who is like a tomato plant that's wilted in summer heat by watering it, turn it back alive. You can picture the roots and the stem and the flower just all growing. I think that's what we have to remind ourselves of, that teachers are the light of this, and we have to promote them, as you were just saying. But in that, in our school change, we have to agree that we probably are attempting to go too wide in covering stuff, whether we call it a curriculum or a syllabus or where the textbook in the old days, we're going to get to chapter 23, whether anybody's left or not in the class. And I think we've got to come up with this notion of what do we want to go deeper in? So transformative change, learning for all, success for all, might be that we really, whatever we do, we should do so well that people have a chance to learn it. And I think that's a challenge that principals face in deciding how much can you confront what most teachers think is all this stuff they have to teach and how to narrow that to those things which are most vital. Exactly. And, and realizing that, you know, we talk about 
problems with these major assessments. We talked about the issues with that mm -hmm. with the, the HSCs in Australia. From the US, we know all about the end grade tests and all the different tools. We recognize that that's intimidating. Think about can I can I push back on that? Um, what I think we're saying is you do some powerful things in your school, you do some powerful things in your classrooms, and you do some powerful things in your schools. And it's amazing how that then grows to expand and permeates other schools. And you begin to shape the, the discussion, you begin to shape the broader discussion. So make your school, make your school a Yeah. And I think what, um, and some of you have seen a presentation I do around the notion of flipping the school. But I think for some of us, we've accepted this notion of flipping classrooms or doing some of that in isolated cases. So we take credit for the star teacher, for wonderful new teachers who are bringing this kind of passion you were just describing. I think it's just as important to say we're going to have to, in this hiatus, figure out how Mr. and Mrs. Jones that teaches down in the third floor corridor, who basically reads the newspaper through the uh, staff meetings and is not on board, uh, comes on board or, or finds a different place to work. Because we can't have a weakest link in what you've just described. Everybody in the school has to be on board for whatever your vision is as the principal. Because if we're on this journey, we've got to be all together. We can't have somebody who's dead weight or dead wood. And I'm afraid that right now we're feeling comfortable saying, well, about 30% of my staff gets it. About 30% we think are okay. And then 30% I'm hoping they retire. We're going to have to get all of it. So flipped classroom is where you, you know, take some stuff, you might have it online beforehand, and then students come ready to do an activity. We use the tools of YouTube or other, other uh, online tools. Well, in my day, we call that homework, right? If the English teacher gave us a reading to do the night before. I don't, I don't know, maybe I was in the good class, but we actually did the reading, and then we came to discuss it. And if we didn't, the teacher helped somebody out who hadn't done it. But I don't call that flipping anything except we have new tools. Flipping the school means we're all on this transformational change together. We can't afford one faculty or one grade level or one teacher to say, I'm not on board. Because once you do that, you've blown the whole thing. So I, in some of your reflection in the next few weeks, I think we got to help our colleagues think through how do we help people move on to something where they're actually going to be more productive than really taking the future away from kids to have this amazing opportunity to feel really good about themselves. Because right now, there's so much stress and anxiety in people's lives. School can be that lighthouse you just described. And I do think a wonderful point, too, about it's, it's not about watering the green spaces in your school. And so <laughs> when I talk to you about reaching out to your colleagues and trying to involve them, it's not reaching out necessarily always to your superstars. Um, you know, there's a lot of work, Michael Bowen's work and Ken Leaper's work, both talk about the fact that if you focus solely on the high performers, yeah. you don't see organizational change. You just see high performers feeling validated. So it's really important. I think that's one of the things we'll talk about in the next episode. It's really important. This, that your approach to this is what's right for all of my people, what's right for all of my students, recognizing that everybody's on their own journey. Yep, absolutely. So I think that the notion of transformative change is also one that we don't think we have answers and we're getting to this place of nirvana not the band, but the location that's in our imagination of ideal, um, you know, fantastic endpoint. I think it's that we know there's so many aspects of the previous old school model of, of teaching and learning, particularly the notion of rigor, if it's, but we have, a, have to have a new rigor, of excellence. Well, yeah, we want everybody to have this high expectations and strive to, but the notion that there's one definition of that, I think is what's on the line. Because you would bring your amazing expertise, intelligence, and passions 
differently than someone else or myself to it. And that's where we're as a group of learners and a community of learners together. Rather than the teacher teaches one lesson plan, and if you get it, it's fine. If I don't get it, that's on me. We have variations in how we teach so that it works for the learners and where they are. So rather than you know the young person get ready for school, the school gets ready for the young person, knowing them well enough that they can make those adjustments. That's a fundamental change in most traditional teachers' way of thinking, where I teach one way, and it's your problem if you don't learn that way. So if you had to look at one fundamental change, it's the change of the role of the teacher in how they are teaching not the content, but that learner. That requires a much more personalized approach all the way through high school, by the way. It doesn't get where by year three we forget all of that because we're trying to prepare them for the dog-eat-dog world. In fact, what we're trying to prepare them is to how to be kind and generous and grateful and passionate and intelligent and well-skilled people. And if you start to go too much in the rigor of the old school, it becomes this competition between you and me rather than we both need to be successful because we're in a very amazing world. Um, so I think that would be one of the fundamental places, I think, to start if you were looking for recalcitrant staff is really their understanding of that major change and in what the role of a teacher is rather than them so certain that I teach my way all the way to Christmas or, or summer, depending on the, which continent and uh, hemisphere you're in. I think that would be a place to start that many might not have thought. They must sure everybody agrees, and I don't think everybody does. And the amazing thing about the time we're in right now is that recalcitrant teacher, um, you have entire schools that in a matter of a week or two weeks are putting everything online. Your, your colleagues have, have stepped up, and they will step up, and then we can, we can educate children at, at a distance. And for many of your for many of your staff, particularly those individuals, if you had, if you had proposed this a month ago, say, hey, you don't have an idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> everything's changed. Overnight, everything's changed. The notion of putting, posting things online on a regular basis is some schools, that's how they do business. But in others now, somehow we could do that in a month. And like we said, we couldn't do it. I'm working with a school um, around New South Wales with an amazing principal who's got her act together. And she decided to take her transformative ideas, but form a teaching and learning committee in her school that was made up of some of the folks that really were doubtful and say, what could we do to really improve our pedagogical prowess in our building uh, and without challenging their current journey through the syllabus, but just about how do we improve it and let that team be sort of her executive advisory team. And by cleverly having that group of teachers across both new thinkers and old thinkers, they now, and it was just an email she sent me yesterday, they have a plan, and they're already implementing it this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're on, on fire with a new approach to embedding more powerful pedagogy across the school with some of the doubters now leading the way. Just really a tribute to her leadership. It's a great example. Um, I, a colleague that I worked with recently, there's the, there's the finding from Gallup you know, that, that shows that the single greatest predictor of a student being engaged in school is that they actually have an adult in that school who cares about them. Like if you ask if you ask students, is there somebody in this building who really cares about you and your future? That's it's first of all it's alarming if a student says no, but there are an enormous number of students who say no. And so this colleague is has made a real effort to work with her staff to make sure that every one of her staff members has a relationship with every one of those students. So there's not a student in that building now who says, well, they may still say it, but there's not a student in that building who should be able to yeah. say it. Because 
somebody does. Yep. Little steps. Yeah, those are a couple of ideas that uh, you're probably on, and you have your others that you might want to share with us in the comments below these segments, either on YouTube or through the podcast, uh, to be able to filter ideas across the world to one another as you get the chance to, because I think that that's a great example, Scott, of something that we could do, but we don't have to wait for it. But you might have to strategically think through that while you're out on your next walk uh, during this uh, COVID reality. Well, so we're going to see you next time, and we're going to talk to you about what can you be doing now to support your staff, because we want we want you to bring your team along on this journey, this journey of transformation. There's a lot of people who, whether it's because their amygdala is a little bit different than others, they're in a panic mode. They don't see the other side. Uh, we're in a time that's extremely stressful on families who have lost incomes out of their partners or out of their related families. They're worried about their elder. Um, relatives who are now isolated, and it's unclear when they'll be able to be seen. It seems like a long time. Those stresses are building up in you, we know, and also in our staff who are then working at home, which is in an ideal situation for many of them. There's one laptop and three teenagers. That's a little hard thing to do. Um, so what we really want to do in these this series, and we hope these are helpful as you're taking your walk and listening, hopefully uh, not too close to your neighbor. Um, is that we really want you to understand that we will get through this. This is, we're going to be okay. Thank you. Talk to you next time. See you for episode three. Have a great rest of the day.